0: All right, real quick, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about spiritual modeling, right? But i got to tell you, right, the slide says spiritual modeling. It's nice and big. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at. I did feel the need to put in a small disclaimer down at the bottom. If your eyes aren't so good, that's that's good. I don't want you to be freaked out by the word. That's why we made it real, real tiny, right? So it says spiritual modeling, um, but the one word disclaimer, because I don't want to be dishonest with you guys, is we're just really talking about discipleship. Right? But I don't want discipleship or family discipleship or modeling discipleship real big on the screen, right? Because here's what I feel like we tend to do with this topic, right? And it kind of wigs us out, right? We're like, discipleship, right? And, and here's why. I believe that um, either, either from our constant um, desire to read into everything, sometimes way too much, or our unwillingness to submit to God and to his plan, instead of understanding something, we try to overstand everything, right? We say, oh, discipleship, I'm not really trying to make those kind of changes I need to make in my life. So there's no way it's that simple, right? There has to be more to it. And we, we read into it, we overstand it, right? We blow this thing way out of proportion. And the next thing you know, God's word has become heavy And it's become burdensome, but it was never, ever supposed to be that way. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 11 that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, his way is easy, his way is our light. It's almost like the Word of God is almost like an apple in this sense, right? Like, so, an apple, it's good for you, right? And, And like... Tastes good right they tell you it's going to help you live longer right an apple a day keeps the doctor away right but then we get this apple and we're like eh, and then we dip it in the caramel <laughs> and we're like man this is this thing looks good now I'm ready to eat man right and it may look good on the outside but what we've done is we've removed all the nutritional value out of this thing and that's what we do with the word of God right when we dip it into man's wisdom Right, so that, that, that is why I just put spiritual modeling, and we put it big, because I don't want you to be freaked out um, by this. Hopefully you'll see that you can, you can do this, but there's a few things that we need to do in order to really lay the foundation before we begin to dive into our text, right? So, so first off, what is a disciple? So for a solid explanation, right, obviously we've got to go to the Scriptures, and I can't think of a better place to go than where Jesus... I'm um, called two of his disciples. So, so we see in Matthew 4, 19, right? He calls two brothers. He calls Peter and he calls Andrew, two fishermen. And he says unto them, Follow me, uh, and I will make you fishers of men. So first off, follow me. A disciple is someone who is actively following Jesus. Right? What's the next thing? Follow me, and I will make you. I will make you. A disciple is now actively Following Jesus, and in turn, due to their pursuit of him, due to their submission to his authority, right, he is transforming them, right? I will make you. He is transforming them. So what we got, follow me and I will make you. So a disciple is someone who is actively following Jesus, and is someone who Jesus, due to their submission and their pursuit of him, Jesus is now actively transforming them, and in turn, due to that transformation, um, they are now to become fishers of men, right? So disciples are someone who has trusted Christ. They are following. They are pursuing Christ. They have submitted to his will, his way, right? They have given up um, their desires, right? They are in pursuit of Jesus. They are following him, right? And because of that pursuit, they are being transformed. And due to that transformation, they are now to be making disciples of Jesus themselves, right? It's this, it's this uh, ongoing, ongoing thing, right? So um, if that's what a disciple is, then who is to be making disciples? Once again, I don't want you to take my word for it, right? I'm, I am nothing. Uh, let's go to the Scriptures. Matthew 28. Uh, This is after Jesus' resurrection, right? He has literally, he's been crucified at this point on the cross, he's been buried, he went down, he conquered death and hell, conquered our punishment, by the way, Um, has been resurrected, and before he ascends back into heaven, he calls a meeting, right? And he tells his 11, he said, hey, meet me in Galilee, right? You guys got to meet me there. We're fit to have a meeting, right? And we also know from 1 Corinthians 15, um, it tells us there were 500 brethren at this meeting. Now, we can, we can include Jesus' 11 into this meeting, right? So what are we working with? We're working with about uh, Jesus' 11 plus 489 others, right? They have this meeting, uh, he says, meet me at the top of the mountain. Jesus opens the meeting. And what does he open with? You'll see it in verse 18 of Matthew 28. He says, all power is given unto me and in heaven and in earth. So he says, I have the authority I am in charge, not not only in heaven but also here on earth, right? Not only in eternity but also in time, right? I am in charge. I make the commands. I have the authority to do so. And what does He command? You'll find it verse nineteen and twenty. He says, "Go ye therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things." whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So baptism, baptism is in obedience, right? It is a a public profession of one's, one's, uh, the fact that they have placed their trust in Christ, right? It's a public profession of their decision uh, uh, of them to trust Christ in their lives, right? So then they are to teach, uh, they are to teach them to follow Jesus. And in verse 20, right, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Right, teaching them to follow His commands. But what has He just commanded them? He commanded them to make disciples. Right. So you have this, you have this ongoing, ever spreading system. It's a perfect plan if you will right and this is to happen until when he tells us again he says I will be with you always during this process even until the end of the world now the last I checked still here still getting it so I think it's safe to say that we are included in this command I knew that wasn't gonna go over well but I think it's safe to say that we are included in this command so now We believe that the God of the Bible is is the true one, only God. He is true. He is God, right? And he has um, created everything in this world for one of two ends, right? Everything that exists, he has created for one of two ends. The first and foremost is for his glory. He has created everything, and that includes that includes certain systems and structures He has created for the glory of His name, right? Second is for the joy of His people, right? His ways are always better than our ways, right? And the Word of God, it always lies out what is best for us. So when God designs things, He is working, He is building them, right? First and foremost, for His glory, and then for our joy. So when we when when the designs and the plans and the 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 commandments um, of God are submitted to, we flourish. Right, we flourish, and and when we see and we hear God's word, and then we submit to it, we flourish as God originally intended us to to be. Right, we we say, you know what, your ways are best. Right, I am not God; you are God. You know best. I will submit to your ways. I submit to your design, to your plan, and then we begin to flourish. And don't get me wrong; I'm not talking about like financial flourishing, although you know maybe we do see some of that happening um, here and there. And I'm not talking about if you submit to God's will, God's plan his commands to your life that you're going to get everything you want right because our wants are not always in accordance with what is best for us and that is what God has for us is what is best for us and that is what he wants right Uh, is what is in coordinates to what is best for you and that is what God has for you and so when we submit to his plans his will His, his systems his design. We can begin to flourish, but on the very flip side of that coin, right? To reject, to go against, to go against his design, his plans, his will, his commands, uh, destruction always follows. Right? I want you to understand, maybe you don't see it for a day, maybe you don't see it for a week or a month or even a year, right? But to go against, to reject God's design, his will, his plans, his command. For your life is to begin to sow seeds of destruction into your life, and therefore, into your family. Let me just, let me just, I just want to address someone, maybe who's here and you're like, you know what, man, I... Okay, cool, right? Discipleship is God's plan. Family discipleship, spiritual mile, I understand, but look, I don't I don't have any kids. I don't I don't really know how this pertains to me, right? Or dude, I'm single, right? I'm not married, like I don't I don't even probably have a good chance of getting married. I mean I've seen something no, I'm just playing right. So like I don't even have a good shot at getting married. How on earth could this apply to me? Or or, or man, we're married, but we can't even have kids. I don't I don't really get what my role is here in family discipleship when when the Bible begins to talk about the church, it used some very interesting language. And, and I want to uh, display it for you right here. Galatians 6, verse 10. As we have, therefore, opportunity. Let us do unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And Paul uses this language again. He uses it in Ephesians two nineteen. He tweaks it a little bit, but here it is. Uh, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So what what the family is is also a picture of what God is doing, right, both on a, a global scale but also on a very local scale. God has made for himself a people that is both globally but also locally, right? He has made for himself a people who he is the father over. We are his sons and his daughters. And so what I want you to get from this is whether or not you have any kids of your own, you very much have a part in God's plan for discipleship. Right, You have a part in the discipling of men and women, young men, young women, um, children, all throughout this local family right here. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. Well, you know that you have a part, whether or not you have kids or not, and maybe this will help, right? So Meg and I, we don't have any kids of our own. But what we are able to do, right, because we both feel like we have been called to be a part of this process, as I feel all Christians have been and should be, right? So what we are able to do is come alongside of um, mom and dad, the parents, and we are uh, able to love your children, right? We're able to love them. We're able to encourage them. And what we are is we're, we're ministers that look very different from you guys. Amen for that. No, we look very different um, from the parents, but what we're able to do is, uh, all the while, we're reinforcing the beauty of a relationship with God. We're reinforcing um, the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and all the while, uh, for His glory, right? We're reinforcing. Uh, that what the scriptures are say is true and so while meg and i don't have any children of our own we are able to have a role in this discipleship process and it's so important right i just want to encourage you look you have a role and throughout the remainder of this thing guard your heart against saying look i don't i don't have a part in this this isn't for me right guard your heart into tuning or into not tuning out right Listen to me, follow me, you have a role in this process. And it's not so huge, and it's not so complicated that we can't do this. You can do this. So, I want to just get started, right? We're going to dive into our text. Deuteronomy 6. Turn there um, with me, if you will. This is what is called the Shema. And what this passage is for the Jews really was, it was Christian education. It was how education was to work. It was how they were to commend the works and the, the, the commands of God to the very next generation. And what I want you to notice is that as we go through this, um, what you see is a core. You see a, You see a starting point, a, a core, and then it's three concentric stages, right? They all build on each other, but you can't start anywhere but at the core at the very beginning you can't start on the outside work your way in you can't start in the middle begin to work your way out you have to have to have to start at the core maybe i'll put another way if you don't start at the core we got no chance it has to start at the very beginning let's go let's dive in deuteronomy 6 so very first first thing very first sentence is this Beautiful, like theologically just rich statement about the Godhead uh, of of God, right? About the Godhead, and, and we're not really going to unpack this thing here this morning. But what I want you to understand is that this is the subject, right? This is the subject matter of what we are teaching our units, our concentric circles, right? This is the subject matter of that, right? right? There is one God. There is not many gods. There's not some gods, right? But there is one God, and he is God alone. He is the subject matter for every part in this process, right? He is the subject. And then from there, it starts with unit one or stage one, part one of our concentric um, units here, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy with all thy soul, with all thy might. So stage one, part one, right, the center, the core of our concentric circles is that for you and I to love the Lord. Right now, I want to take a second just to point out um, what it does not say. I want to take a second point out where the Shema does not start, where God does not start. He does not say for you and I to do the Ten Commandments and teach our kids to do the same. He doesn't start with, hey, I want you to do what's right. No, he starts with love. You and I are to love. Now, why? Because we do not do based upon our knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. We do based upon what we love. Right? And our lives are filled with examples of this. The restaurant. Right? You know what is good for you. You know what you ought to be eating but we order the cheese fries, right? Or we order the cheesecake, right? And and it's, look, it's because we love cheese fries. It's because we love cheesecake. It's not because we didn't know what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. We know right and wrong. But we don't do based upon uh, our knowledge of that. We do based upon what it is that we love. take it to your kids for a second i want you to think about it right they have areas of their life right where they are they are committed they are devoted man they don't miss it they are on it they are they are precise they're not they're not missing a single thing over here right and then they have other areas of their life where it just seems completely amiss and that's because there's a whole lot of love over here for this thing, whatever it may be. Basketball, baseball, I mean, these are just examples we're using here, right? They don't miss it. They got it. They are locked in on it. And then everything else is just kind of like, hey. And that's because there's a whole lot of love over here, and there's not so much over here. And that is not because they don't know what is right and what is wrong. No, it's because we do based upon what we love. And that is why the Shema starts with uh, love the Lord thy God. It doesn't start with do what's right because they do based upon what they love because that's what motivates us. And so if you and I are typically thinking education, we're thinking, look, dude, just tell me, tell me the do's, tell me the don'ts, right? Like, give me the rules, and I'll take this thing from here. But that's not where it starts. That's not where the Word of God starts, right? It begins with, um, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. So a big question here is how do we do that? And, and, and really the scriptures uh, leave this kind of pretty open for interpretation, but I wholeheartedly believe that one of the ways that we're going to begin to do this is that we fill our lives with the things that stirs up our affections for God. I don't know about you, but one of the things that stirs up my affections for God is meeting in the house of God with the people of God. Perhaps that's why the Bible tells us forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, right? When I come here, I see you, I get to worship with you guys, man, I love it, it stirs up my affections for God. Just like Pastor Greg was saying last week, right? We have to be steeping. We have to be meditating in the Word of God. That has to be priority number one in our lives if we are to love Him. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in thy heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. So, once we begin to make the truth of the word of God priority, top priority in our lives, we begin to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, um, with all our might, then we must apply those truths of the word to our lives. You understand, application or acquisition of knowledge, acquisition, devoid of application to the heart, is useless. Now, I'm not sure, maybe, if you really caught what I was saying. I know it's kind of tough, right? But acquisition, devoid of any real application, it's meaningless. We can come to Sunday school, we can come to 11 o'clock, we can sit and hear great, great teaching, we can hear wonderful preaching. I know not me, right, when Greg's here. Like, we can hear preaching, we can hear all this stuff, man, it can be amazing. But if we don't ever apply it to our heart, it's meaningless. And I hate to tell you, really, we're, we're basically wasting our time. You must apply it to your heart. It's like, look, someone who doesn't apply... The word of god to their lives they're only a hearer of the word and they're not applying it it's like it's like someone who confused with their identity so discipleship, family discipleship, model discipleship—whatever you want to call it—must it start at the center. We can't move on to any other stage, any other step until the core is established. And that core is to love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And you can't love the Lord your God if you don't love His Word. And you have to make it a top priority in His life, in our lives. You must steep in it, right? It's like making a good bag of tea. You don't just dip it in, right? You got to let it sit for a minute. That's how it gets good. You got to steep in it. It's got to become top priority in our lives. But for you to buck against this divine yet simple program is to begin to sow seeds of destruction into your family. So why is the heart of a parent for Jesus so important? Here's why. His design his plan, his system, his structure that he has built is so perfect that you and I are making disciples whether we're even trying to or not. But the question is, what are we discipling them in? Men. If you're aggressive towards your wife. If you verbally belittle her, you refuse to serve her as Christ served the church and gave himself for the church, you are training your sons to be the next generation of narcissistic, self-seeking, self-centered cowards. And you train your little girl that that is what she can expect from men. Ladies, if you are a consistent nag, if you consistently feel like you have to be the holy spirit in the home first off listen i have never met the dude whose life has been transformed by the (laughs) nagging of his wife (laughs) and it look it sounds rough right where we're using this word nag it sounds rough but look this is this is biblical stuff here the word of god actually says it would be better for a man to dwell in the desert than in a house with a contentious wife You should, uh, you should just go to the desert. No, 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 no. Don't, don't take any water. But ain't I ain't not gonna die. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be slow and and painful and miserable, dude. But it's gonna be better than chilling in that house. Look, look. look understand if. If you're doing this, you are training your sons in a way that emasculates them uh, as you emasculate their father in front of them. And your daughters are being trained that the way to get what you want is to constantly nag about someone's weakness rather than being an expert in their strengths. Look, even if those strengths are hard to find, he could be an incompetent moron, but he is your incompetent moron. (laughs) So you need to find what he does, find what he does well, and you need to begin to speak into that in front of your children. We are modeling, we are discipling, but again, the question is, what are you discipling them in? That's why this is so important. Look, if we are growing in our love for Christ and his word, and then suddenly we begin to extend grace towards one another, right? So then even if, even if we mess up, and ma- maybe we're a little bit naggy, or maybe, maybe we come off and we say something crazy that we didn't mean, right? Like, You're just like your mother! right, then we can begin to extend this grace, we can ask for forgiveness, right, we can own up to our sin, and we begin to model the love that we all have, the need that we all have for Jesus Christ. Right, and I know it can be tough, right, like to take my word for it, he's just a youth pastor, he's not even like Hardly even qualifies for the job. Definitely not the smartest dude in the room, right? So look, take someone who who who's smarter than I will ever be. Take his word for it. A guy named Albert Bandura, right? He is the David Starr Jordan Professor Emeritus of Social Science in Psychology at Stanford University, and he needs to work on that title. Oh my gosh, Bandura has received more than sixteen honorary degrees. Look, this is a smart dude. In two thousand two. Uh, a survey ranked Bandora, now this was, this was years ago, it might have even climbed since then. In 2002, a survey ranked Bandora as the fourth most frequently cited psychologist of all time, right? He's widely described as the greatest living um, psychologist and one of the most unflu- influential psychologists of all time. He has earned um, the very top honors that you can earn in, in this field, not only in Canada, but also in the U.S. President Obama uh, actually awarded it to him. And when he began in this field, he began to direct his initial research into the role of social modeling and human motivation, thought, and action, right? And he engaged in his studies of social learning and aggression, And his efforts illustrated the critical role of modeling in human behavior. And it led to a program of research into the determinants and mechanisms of observational learning, right? And from this, through this research, he developed what is called the social cognitive theory, right? And it says a whole lot, right? It's a pretty pretty in-depth thing, but I want to give you one of the themes that's running throughout this whole thing. Most human behavior is learned by observation through modeling. It's like Paul, it's like he's just proven what Paul has been saying all from the beginning, right? He said, 1 Corinthians 11, he said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And Jesus promised in Matthew 11, 20, his yoke is easy, right? It's not burdensome, it's light. And it's not burdensome. I mean, what's the big command here? Love me with everything you have. That's literally it. So that's stage one. That's step one is for you and I, to love the Lord with all we got. Now that takes us to our second step, our second stage. Don't worry, two and three go a lot faster. So the first stage is you and I, were stirring up our affections for God, right? We're engaging in this consistent love relationship with Christ, right? With everything that the Lord gives us. And the second stage is to teach them diligently and to our children. Pause. And when I say teach them diligently into our children, right, let me just take a guess of what's going through pretty much everybody in this room's head, right? Something of this nature. I don't have time to teach an in depth study of the Word of God. Right, when am I gonna find um, that time? I don't have time to teach this. I got I got football practice to get one to. I got riding lessons to get another one to. Man, maybe I got field hockey for the next, right? And the spouse, they're doing some night school, and I'm I'm working 40 hours a week, right? I mean, I don't, I'm lucky to even make it home with all the children, right? I have time to leave one somewhere. I don't have time to teach the doctrine of God and pay this mortgage. But the tax actually lends itself to us it's almost like God knew we were going to be in a busy world it's like God knows we live in a real place listen check it out I want you to see it. we can do this you can definitely um you can definitely do this verse 7 and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house now how many of you sit in your house how many of you got a couch? Come on, that's not a trick question. you got a couch. Do you sit in your house? Perfect. We're halfway there. We're getting going. How many? Look, look, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let me point this out. And when thou walkest by thy way, if you drive your kids' places? Right? you got a couch. Do you drive your kids' places? You drove them here. Okay, perfect. We are halfway there. To diligently teach, right? We have half the things we need. You got a couch, you got a car, you take your kids' places. We got half of everything we need. Look, finish this thing up. Uh, do you go to bed at night? Do you, do you wake up in the morning? There it is, bam. Got everything we need to diligently teach. But what are we diligently teaching them? So we're back at stage one. Right, And this is why it's so beautiful. This is why it's so perfect. If you get the core down, if you get stage one down, if you begin to love the Lord with everything you have, the rest begins to fall into place. And we begin to do these things. We begin to spiritually model or disciple for our kids. And we don't even have to realize what stage we're in of this concentric process, right? That's why this is so beautiful. Let's keep going, right? Um, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between nine eyes. Now, what the early Jews had done was they took this text super literal. They would take a box, they would take the shema, and they would, they would write it down, and they would put it in the box, and they would literally tie it and bound it to their forehead. And they're walking around with a box on their forehead. And they take it and put it on their hands, right? Shema on their hands. And look, i got to believe that this is, this is an amazing lesson of how to absolutely miss the entire point. What the Shema is commanding us is that when we love the Lord our God, it becomes the lenses by which we see the world, right? And it becomes, it becomes the way in which we are to act or to work with our hands, Right? It's the lenses by which we see everything. It's what we're doing. It's the actions that we're doing with our hand because we see everything. It's our motivation for the way our hands work. And this was how we were to view the world, right? So our, our family, we say, you know what? Our family is going to love the Lord with everything we got, right? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, right? And, and this is what we're about. So now we're going to teach it. We're going to talk to them when they sit down. We're going to talk to them when they rise up. We're going to talk to them when they're riding in the car. Which, by the way, what, a, what an amazing place to trap your children, You got a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. But if you punt that time off to devices, you are handing away this this beautiful opportunity. Right? we say, you know what? We're family, we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our whole heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, man. We're going to teach to them when they're when they're sitting down, when they're riding in the car, when they when they go to bed, when we wake up. Right, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're doing. And look, I get it, man. It's going to be messy. It's going to be inconsistent. Right? It's probably not going to feel like fun sometimes. Um, but and we're going to have a whole lot of opportunity to own up to the spots where we fail. But look, um, o- o- over some time, maybe over a whole lot of time, um, God is going to begin to do some. Amazingly cool things. And parents, let me just let me take some of this weight off you for a minute, right? Because you know you can look out, you can see people's faces. Like there's a whole lot, man. I got kids. I mean, I got three kids. It's even more on me now, you know. Let me take some of this weight off. You can't save your kids by your parenting. Right, it's, it's, it is through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, through his resurrection, right, through the working of his Holy Spirit that the spiritual blindness is removed and they are able to place their trust in Christ, but not through persuasion. Right now, I haven't been at this for like a super long time. I can already point out to you numerous teenagers Who were full, lives were full of doubt, full of sin, void of any joy or any fruit, yet they were convinced Christians because their mom and dad told them that they placed their trust in Christ when they were six or seven. And I want you to listen. Don't tune me out. I'm not saying that God does not save children. I believe that God saves five, six, seven, eight-year-old children. I believe that he does. That's not um, what I am saying at all. But it is not through the persuasion of a parent who says, don't you want to come to heaven um, with mommy and daddy? Of course they're going to say yes. We can't save them through our persuasion, but God can. Right? And so that's why we pray and we plead to God and we expect and we, we model it. We live out our faith with everything that we have. Right? So if they haven't trusted Christ, they look at what we're doing. It's so attractive they can't wait to place their trust in Christ. Right? And if they have trusted Christ, we're beginning to teach them how to truly love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Right? But we can't save them through our persuasion. And that leads us to stage three, right? And I just want to pull some of that weight off of you. It's your job to disciple them, to teach them how to love God, but you can't save them. Stage three, Deuteronomy 6 9. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So I want you to catch the progression of this thing with me right we started at the core we're working our way out this is the progression right um check it out with me it starts at the core we got mom and dad who have committed to seeing the love for jesus being top priority in their lives right this is number one right i'm going to fill our lives with the things that stirs our affection for god right and then we are we are going to do this through making his word top priority in our lives right then they have jammed their schedule full of these things right they're talking about jesus when they're in the car, they're talking about Jesus um, when they go to bed at night, when they're they're waking up and they're sitting at the dinner table, right? And, And they're just trusting. All the while they're just trusting in the Word of God and in the Spirit of God and they're just doing the best that they can, right? And then finally, the family unit begins to glow as they reflect the light of the world. And now it is written on the post. Now the outside can begin to see. The beauty of a life, of a family who is submitted to the designs, the plans that God has set into play. But it can't start here, it can't start with an outward facing ministry. It's nothing short of what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. And over and over we're warned about the ministry that they had in the Bible. It's nothing short of hypocrisy. It cannot start here. It has to start at the core. I can tell you anyways, if you're trying to start with an outward facing ministry, you ain't fooling your teenagers. They may not act smart all the time, but they see right through that. It has to start at the core. Now maybe you're here, you say, dude, like, cool, cool thought. You got real excited, man, that was awesome. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Faith, faith in God, faith in Jesus. Let me take a second just to talk for you, right? And In just a second, we're almost done. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. We know that God created everything. The Bible tells us he created everything. The moon, the sun, the stars, the earth, the birds and the trees. He created you and he created me. He created us all. Right? And and we're also told that God created us in his image, in his likeness. Now, why would God do that? Because he desires a relationship with you. Think about your friends. Who are the people that are your friends? Most of the time, they're people that you have something in common with. Something who you have alike. You are like them. Because God desires a relationship with you. But our sin has built a partition between us and God. Now, that word sin, we don't love to use it a lot. I get it. It's 2018, right? It is a sin. Don't tell me what I did wrong. I understand. But that word sin just means to miss the mark. Right? There was a standard that was set, and we have missed it. Right? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we don't need a verse to tell us that, Right? I tell this story to the youth all the time. Probably too much. They're getting sick of hearing it, right? I was maybe five or six years old. Right. I know, I know, I was super young because I was still taking naps with my mom. My mom, she wake up with a stomachache. She's hurting. Oh man, she's hurting. When I wake up from the nap. I'm like, oh man, mom's hurting. She going to go and she wanna take some of the pink stuff. Sorry, ma, he'd be taking our story here, right? She wanna take some of the pink stuff. Y'all know that it's gross, man. It's disgusting. They call it pepto bismol, right? But there's only enough for one left. Now what do kids do, right? She said, oh, I'm hurting. I said, oh, me too, me too, right? I just wanted some sympathy from my mom, right? Somebody else is taking medicine. I want to take medicine, right? So what does mom do? She's a great mom. What do you think she did? She gave me the last bit of the Pepto-Bismol. I took it. I drank it. But even then, I knew, right? I came back to my mom at 20-something years old. I don't know if she remembers it. I said, hey, mom, do you remember the time when there was only a little bit of Pepto-Bismol left? You had a stomach ache, but you gave it to me. And she's like, no. I'm like, look, mom, look, 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 look. I remember, and I just want to tell you I'm sorry, I didn't even have a stomachache, man, and that was wrong. I'm sorry. Right, and I don't tell you that to say, like, this kid's disgusting, he likes pepto what a freak, right? I don't tell you that. There was something inside of me, even then, at five or six years old, that knew I had missed the mark, right? I was deceptive. I had lied, man. I had missed the mark in my life, right? We don't need the scriptures to tell us that we have missed that mark. But there is a payment for that sin. And the Bible tells us that it is death. And it's not just a physical death. It's not like just die in the grave. Oh, no. It tells us it's a spiritual death. Right? An eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. And that's bad news. That's horrible news. But look, there is good news. The Bible tells us that he sent his son, Jesus. God literally came down in the flesh so that you and I didn't have to take that punishment. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life for 33 years. You say, well, he wasn't tempted. Nope, the Bible tells us he was tempted with the same exact things that we are tempted with. But he never sinned once. At 33 years of age, he was crucified. He died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, I want you to understand, he took our sin, our payments for our sin, the death and the hell part, right? He took those. He died on the cross. He went down. He conquered that. And he rose again on the third day so that you and that I don't have to do that payment. We don't have to pay it. We don't have to deal with it. The Bible tells us that if we just place Our faith and our trust. Now, i got to believe that some of this has to do with submittance to him, right? We like to believe that. Oh, if I just believe. The Bible also tells us if the devil's also believes, so what? It has to do with submitting to God, relinquishing your trust to him. The Bible says if we just place our trust in him, we call upon him, we ask him, we say, please forgive us of our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. If you've never, ever done that, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Right? So, if everybody just bow their heads with me for a second, right? Uh, all you would have to do is just say a real simple, easy prayer. You just have to call out upon God. It could go something like this. Look, and, and maybe you need, so you say, you know what? I've never really prayed. If you could just help me walk through this, you could just repeat something like this inside of you, right? You just say, um, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, right now, the best way that I know how I ask you to forgive me of my sins, just come into my life. God, in the best way that I know how I submit to you, I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Now, look, nobody's looking around, right? We got Christians praying. Nobody's looking around if you if you made that commitment to place your trust in christ if you got saved today i want to be able to rejoice with you i don't want to call you up in front i don't want to embarrass you i'm not going to do anything crazy i just want to be able to rejoice with you i want to be able to pray for you i want to be able to maybe encourage you on your next steps so would you do something? If you placed your trust in Christ, would you just look up for me? I don't want you to raise your hand. You might hit somebody next to you or something, man. And I don't, I don't want anybody to know this is personal. It's between you and God. If you placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ today, would you just look up at me? I'd love to rejoice with you, but catch my eyes as I'm scanning the cross. Amen, brother. Amen. God bless you. That's the best decision you'll ever make. Anyone else, you say, you know what, I place my, my faith in Christ. I don't want to miss anybody. Amen. Now maybe you're here this morning. Amen, brother. That's the best decision you'll ever make. And maybe you're here. You say, you know what? <laughs> I have a relationship with God. I started a relationship. I've placed my faith and my trust in Christ. But if I'm honest, Travis, I'm so far from where God wants me to be. I am so far. I've got so lost, so mixed up in my relationship with him. Maybe you need to just come this morning when we open up this altar. And maybe you just need to ask God to forgive you and rededicate your life back to him. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, dude? I got to be honest. I've dropped the ball on this family discipleship thing. I've I've given away um, the time that God blessed me with to raise and teach them diligently. I've handed it off to devices, to friends, to the youth pastor, to everybody else except for me. And I have dropped the ball. And if that's you, I want you to know it's not too late. Start now. Come down right now. Pray to God. Ask him to forgive you. Commit to taking and going on this journey. Begin today, right now. You are discipling your kids. But what are you teaching them? What are you discipling them? I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up this altar. And if you have a need, I just want you to come. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.